In the last 25 episodes, there's been a recurring theme that as God is healing, he often invites people to be a part of that process, sometimes in big ways, sometimes in small, which begs the question, what do we do if we're invited to be a part of the healing process that God is doing for another? And let's press that further. What do we do if those healing processes are in hard spaces like deep trauma or addiction? And let's keep on going. What do we do if we're invited into a healing process for another, but we ourselves need healing? These are hard questions, right? And yet many of us do feel called to these spaces of serving and of loving. In fact, all of us are called to love others. So what do we do when God invites us into these healing processes? I'm so grateful for Miriam processing this with me today. Miriam and her ministry press into some really hard spaces, particularly involving foster care and human trafficking. Spaces where she constantly sees the depths of brokenness and also has to keep on going knowing that things aren't going to get fixed like that. In this episode, we process those hard questions and find out why it is she continues to stay at the table, why it is she continues to love and serve, and how it is that she knows that God is still a loving God and a healer. So if you have been invited by God to participate in the healing of another, and you're not sure what the next step should be, this episode might be for you. You're listening to episode 88 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you that even when technology tries to push against things, that's usually an indication for me, at least, that you are going to do something. Uh, We just go forward in this with anticipation that you are going to work, that you are going to speak. And to that end, we want to just invite you to guide our words, to guide our thoughts, to guide this conversation in such a way that you are glorified and that it just clearly shows who you are in your goodness. I pray in his holy name. Amen. All right, Marion, I'm glad we were able to connect. We had some technological issues. And like I said in the prayer, I've had that happen many times before. And sometimes that means that it's actually going to be a great episode. So get excited. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to step in like that. One of the ways that I like to engage with guests just out the gate to give them a fun way to introduce themselves briefly is to come up with random prompts for how they share who they are. There was two in my head before we started, and one of them has popped out. So by default, you get the other one. (laughs) So I want you to imagine I got your number and I'm calling and it goes straight to voicemail. But on this voicemail, it's you sharing who you are in that short span of time because you can't have a long voicemail. Those are annoying because you got to wait for the (laughs) So in a short voicemail, you quickly say who you are in such a way that I'm like, yes, I'm leaving a message. Who are you? What's the voicemail say? Hey, you've reached Miriam Cobb, founder and director of Empty Frames Initiative, working to empower orphaned and vulnerable youth as they transition out of state care. That was too long. I can feel it. <laughs> no, that was that was actually perfect. And I was even going to say, as a bonus gift, you can cut this soundbite out and use it as your official voicemail. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) That'd be great because my voicemail says, you called this number. (laughs) (laughs) You leave people hanging. Which number though? Who did I reach? (laughs) Well, Miriam, I'm excited. We know very little about each other because of this beautiful thing called PodMatch that connected us. And we said, all right, let's, let's do it. 
you know, I've glanced at your profile and there's some things I'm really excited about that could come out in this conversation. I don't know where this conversation is going to go, but because of the work that you do, because of your experience in social work, when it comes to this broad topic of the season I'm in on healing, there is just so much. There is just so much that I feel like you can tap into. We're just going to really jump into a lot of this organically, but I want to start with social work. I know what that means. People think they know what that means, but what does that actually mean? When you say you have engaged with social work, that you do social work, what is that? Yeah, that's actually a great place to start because <laughs> I am not technically a social worker. I'm not licensed in any way. That's not necessarily my role. When I say social work, it's normally more in the field of social work. And I get to engage a lot with youth that have been in the foster care system, people who have experienced human trafficking, people who are affected by social justice issues. That's the realm that I, I work in through my nonprofit. It's not specifically the really technical term <laughs> social worker that people think of where someone who goes in and helps families clinically or things like that. It's a really broad field. Yeah. And I think that's important to name because I think we don't understand broadly as people what we don't understand all that is entailed. Mm. Because when people say social work, they think social worker. So that's the person right. going into the home and doing the things. And what you have just indicated is, no, actually, this is a big world. Yeah. When we're talking about these very big issues, there is a big world around how to actually not just engage these issues, but to figure out where to even start in engaging these issues. You know, tell me a little bit more about those specific areas that you pinpointed and why you found yourself there. Yeah, that's another good question. It's, like you said, this is going to be a really broad conversation. <laughs> we got a lot to cover. So about six years ago, I started an organization called Empty Frames Initiative, and it's had the idea the whole time to work with young adults as they transition out of orphan and foster care systems around the world. When we started, we had very little training on what that was going to look like. We just saw a really big need. And it was around the same time that the need became to be more studied and prominent. Like we've always known it's been there, but more and more we see people starting to get onto this issue. When we started studying it, we were looking at going international right away for a lot of personal reasons. But one of the big reasons was that there were studies from Eastern Europe that indicated that a lot of the young adults leaving orphanages were immediately being trafficked. Mm. And that put a lot of pressure on what we were thinking, where we were heading. And so right away, we were like, well, this is where we'd like to start because we wanted to start at one facility and see it replicated around the world, right? We're like, let's go to Eastern Europe. When we started sharing the idea in our community, people were like, hey, we need that here. Mm. I'm like, yeah, we need it everywhere. We know that. I'm like, no, we need it here. Yeah. And our board started having those same conversations. And so I was like, okay, this is God's thing. So we'll think about it. And one day I was watching TV because that's what I do. <laughs> I was watching a crime show and this scene popped up where there was trafficking in the U.S. And it was a child. I didn't have a huge understanding of that six years ago. And I was watching it happen. I was like, wait a minute. What if the numbers are the same here in the US I and mean, they're just not studied or I just don't know where to find them. Mm. And so I started looking up some organizations in our area and one of them that did direct service work actually had on there. We worked with foster youth and while they weren't people who could perform actual studies, they knew that over 60% of the youth that were trafficked had either been in foster care, or had a history with the foster care system. 
I had the wonderful opportunity of sitting down with the person who runs that organization and she's fantastic. They recently got absorbed into another nonprofit. The founder was Abby Tanalia and she was telling us about how it works here in the U.S. And it is really similar to how it works in other parts because you just see this huge vulnerability and this gap that people fall into when they don't have community. And so I was like, okay, okay, everyone's saying this, we're praying about it. And then God started moving in my heart as well to kind of redirect our first facility to the U.S. Through the connection with Abby, we actually got connected to a lot of other nonprofits that work with anti-trafficking to the point where at a certain place, we became somehow, <laughs> by the grace of God, someone that they called on to ask about foster care related issues and to talk to them about like, what are the reasons that this is such a vulnerable population? And what are the resources that are available to them specifically because they're in foster care? Mm -hmm. And so we served on the statewide board for North Carolina on anti-trafficking in 2019 and have continued to stay connected to that group. And so moving forward, we're trying to get more connected with similar things, the field of homelessness and incarceration and addiction, and just trying to let it happen the way that God wants it to, because the same vulnerabilities that lead us on being trapped are the same vulnerabilities that make those issues become so progressed and difficult. Yeah. Well, um, so first, thank you for doing what you do, because it's not an easy space to step into. And that actually, there's one question that's been sitting on my mind, and that actually leads really well into it. You know, I've been having a lot of conversations, and it's been striking to me how many of those conversations about healing stem from something traumatic happening. Mm -hmm. And I've had conversations from people that had things happen in their childhood. And it's really difficult stuff, right, in and of ourselves. But what you just described is you and others are willingly stepping into these spaces where people are wrestling with really hard things, whether they fully understand it or not, and you are willingly choosing to participate in that. And what it makes me think of is, you know, I feel like there's a number of ways that God brings healing and he can definitely like heal like a snap of his finger, but he often chooses to heal through community, as you mentioned earlier, through people. I had a doctor who's a friend of mine on, and we talked about how God may choose to heal by equipping doctors to create medication and to create ways of doing like physical healing. And so my question is this, when you think about this idea of God inviting people to participate in the healing of others, why is it that you choose to willingly step into this space? Which, as you mentioned, it's not a small space. And you ended by saying, and here's all the more things that we can step into. <laughs> yeah, I have been really fortunate in my life. And I was raised in a family. My parents had gotten saved a few years before I was born. They were on fire for God and are on fire for God. And I think something that just made a huge difference in my life is having parents who believe that God speaks mm. and that he moves still. As I was growing up with this, as I was hearing this, and as I had a relationship with God from a really young age, that was my own. I had this weird privilege of knowing God and his voice mm. and getting to a point where I could trust it, even when things were really not ideal. I was excited when you sent me the email about your series on healing because it's got a lot in my own life mm. that I've been thinking about and that people on my team and I have been thinking about because it's, again, a really broad topic. Yeah. And we look at it from like physical ailments to spiritual things. And we're looking at how I kept thinking about this when you had sent this. It's like God heals us. That's the ultimate healing is restoration with our relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And he invites us into that work. 
and who he is. And as I've been doing this, like you said, it is hard. It's not something that it's like, oh yeah, I walk away every day so <laughs> excited that I do this. I wish that was the case. I'm inspired by the people that I meet. I am made more and more passionate the deeper I get into it because God continually shows like, this is why this is important. But I have walked away from days where I just felt completely beaten down by the enemy or isolated or discouraged by the immense brokenness in the world. And I have been very, again, I I keep using the word fortunate and privileged, but to watch God heal me again through the people that I have around me and continually bringing that before him. There's a lot of reasons why that I continue to do this. The main one is knowing this is what God called me to do. It was really specific. It wasn't a maybe, it was a very this is what you're called to do. And it's a yes or no thing. And to say no would be complete disobedience. Mm. And then there's the joy of seeing other people experience the healing that I have received from him. Yeah. And the hope that more people will experience that. Yeah. You use this word like continuing in there. And this is something too that I've this really struck me as I've gotten into these conversations about healing and even just looking at my own life. Like we want to believe that healing is the type of thing where everything is supposed to be good by default. Occasionally something bad happens, Mm. but then God fixes it. It's healed and boom, now it's back to good. Good is the default. We're back to good. And experientially, (laughs) none of us actually have lived that. (laughs) And when I think of these conversations I've had, that's often been a part of the story is that it was a journey. It was this continuing thing that the issue wasn't fixed. And yet, and this is, I really love what you said about what we're really talking about with healing is restoration with God. That's what people found when they began by praying for God to heal this specific thing. And now on this end of the journey, they're like, oh, actually God was working on my relationship with him. I just couldn't see it at the time. But in the midst of it, there's still these very real struggles. And that's the other thing that I've, as I've been thinking about this conversation and some of the ways that I serve, I'm having to engage some of those fears that you mentioned. I used to work with youth a lot. I have a number of neighbors that I walk with that are unsheltered and working through that, that wrestle with addiction and alcoholism. I think one of the things that I've seen and what I know that in your work you've experienced is With a lot of things, you can have this idea that here's the thing that I do. And if we work on this for this amount of time, we will solve the problem. You're stepping into a space where that's not necessarily on the docket to solve all the issues with trafficking, all the issues with kids needing to be into foster care. When you think of healing and you think of this reality that brokenness can persist, that broken things can still happen. And yet God can still bring healing in some way. How does that play out for you? How do you work through that tension of knowing that God is a healer and knowing that brokenness persists? All right. There's so many pieces to that. So I'm going to go in order. And I I agree with your prayer at the beginning. Like I'm just praying God's one speaking and people can hear that. So the start to that question, the first answer that comes to mind is constantly keeping the word of God in front of us. Jesus saying, in this world, you will have troubles, but take heart because I've overcome the world. It's kind of a guarantee in the most like, it's like in a really beautiful way, God just told you, you're going to deal with things, <laughs> but it's going to end eventually. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the whole narrative of the Bible is hearing God at the beginning say, you know, it's good. And then it's broken, but eventually I'm going to fix it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then at the end, everything's going to be restored and right. And there will be no more tears. 
And that's something that we have to keep in mind because I think it puts our expectations in the correct place that God is in the ultimate authority to do whatever he chooses, but we shouldn't be expecting everything to be good. Mm -hmm. That's not the right expectation. If everything was good, we wouldn't need God. Mm. The thing is, when we're looking at our lives and we're looking at what God's doing and we're like, oh my gosh, why isn't everything fixed? I feel like people don't ask this question up. It's like, if you were going to be fixed the second you found God, he could have taken you to heaven right then. If you didn't have a purpose in this world and in its brokenness, you could have been gone. I'm not saying people who get saved and die immediately didn't have a purpose. I'm saying that God said, I'm done with you here and I'm bringing you home. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason that I've thought about this so much is because of personal things. And I'm comfortable with sharing this, but I do have an autoimmune disease and it started when I was about 15. It makes it to where I have like really severe allergic reactions to food. And that's how it started. And then it progressively became nerve pain and all these other weird things, right? The first year that I had this diagnosis, I went to this leadership Christian camp. It's what you do when you're 15 and you're Christian. (laughs) It's what you do. Mm -hmm. And I showed up and I had to put food into the fridge because I couldn't eat, you know, pizza every night. So I was putting food in the fridge and this cafeteria person followed me out and they're like, what are you doing? It's like, I have permission. I've been told I can do this. And I explained my story. And she's like, oh, can I pray for you? I'm like, sure, you can pray for me. And I had my mom with me. And she's like, you know what? No, I'm going to pray for you at the end of the week when your faith is stronger. And I kind of looked at her and I looked at my mom and we walked away. (laughs) And I remember I just like started crying because I was like, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? God's ability to heal is not dependent on my faith. God's ability to heal shouldn't be considered correlated to my faith. And that's not how it works biblically. At the time, it was really confusing. Mm. And it was like almost a little bit insulting because it was like, you don't think I believe in God enough until I finish one week at your camp? Mm-hmm. What does that what does that mean to you? Yeah. It was a great camp. I did not follow up with that person. And as I have gotten older and I've had this illness for several years, I've always known it's like if God wanted to take it away, he could. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I haven't prayed that things would resolve. It's that that's not at the forefront of my mind all the time. And every now and then it comes up because when you're not eating what everyone else is eating, everyone wants to know why. It's like, okay, cool. I'll tell you. (laughs) And then you'll have people who are like, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And then there's this really enthusiastic person. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to pray for you right this second and you will be healed. And I felt so bad because this did happen to me once. Mm -hmm. And I looked at this girl. I was like, no, you cannot pray for me. And I felt so guilty afterwards. I like circled back with her. I was like, you, you can pray for me. Um, But I had to like go into the details of why I'm not looking for what she's looking for. Not because I don't believe God can bring immediate healing, but because my life through it has led to more understanding of him. Mm. Not that I want to keep it again. It's just a piece with where God has me and trusting him and trying not to entangle other people's beliefs about him. With the beliefs of where I'm at personally, I feel like this is something that a lot of people are going to, This, I feel, I'm sorry if this confuses a lot of people because I'm trying to be really like personal about it because it is very personal. But at the same time, there are people who are walking through things in their lives that your help isn't going to immediately heal. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are going through things and have gone through things for years. And when you say, let me pray for you as if your prayer is somehow more weighty or honorable in the eyes of God, it's kind of insulting. Mm-hmm. It's kind of frustrating too, because it's like, chances are they've gotten their hopes up before because someone like you came up to them 
there are people with gifts of healing. So I'm not dismissing that. I'm saying that you better be sure that that's between you and God and not between you and the situation. And so the same thing applies as we look at life and we're looking at people with healing. There are things that will be healed on this side of eternity and it's beautiful and it happens really quickly. There are people whose lives are just so completely restored by just meeting God. They're cured of addiction or they get into a church that's immediately able to provide them housing or they have the chance to be adopted in a way that they feel safe for the first time in a long time. Adoption doesn't heal things. There's so much more to it, Mm -hmm. but their safety for the first time in their lives feels really secure, right? There are things in life that get healed, but I love that the name of this series was healing because a lot of times God lets it be a process Mm. and he's consistent and our healer is always with us. And we are being healed on our way towards him. And as we're working with other people. Really appreciate you sharing all that. And I think it hits at so many important truths. And one of them is, you know, to a lot of the people that were reaching out to you in their minds, the equation was your life would be better if you subtract this negative thing. Right. (laughs) And you're like the mathematics, the spiritual mathematics are a little more complicated Do I want this subtracted? In a way, yes. But what you don't understand is what God has done here. Yeah. (laughs) Like the way I understand him is far more profound because this existed. And we just can't wrap our minds around that transaction. (laughs) Like this, we want the bad things gone. And, but that has been a recurring theme for so many people. Do I wish that I could? Sure. Like I would love to be able to, but. I value far more the depth of relationship that I have found with God through this. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. Yeah. Ultimately, I want his will more than I want immediate healing. And I think that's the thing. It's like, it, because there are so many, it's like, there's so many things you can learn. It's like, God can teach you wherever, but his will is where he wants you to be. And so people talking about healing and John Stumbo, president of the CMA, he went through a period of really intense illness and it led him and so many others closer to God. And there's someone that I love hearing from and it's Lindsay Wheeler. She runs Bottle of Tears and she lives with a long-term illness along with her daughter. And it's incredible to see how many lives they've ministered to through their ministry. And you hear them talking and you get to have the chance to see what God did in their lives. And they're like, it's not actually about the illness. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's not about this. It was about having the patience when we could and being able to surrender to him when we couldn't through whatever he calls us to. Everybody has something that God's going to teach them. It's not going to be wasted at all. Yeah. So I really appreciate what you shared about just the challenges of how to navigate praying for healing, how to navigate when people want to pray for healing, because It really is a difficult thing to wrap our minds around and to know how to step into authentically. One of the big struggles in my life around that, and I'm just going to give you the quick hit and it's going to be really unfair because it's a hefty story that I'm not giving any of the story for. (laughs) But my wife and I about 10 years ago had a miscarriage, but there is this period of two weeks where we felt like God was inviting us to pray. This was, would have been our first child. We were so longing for the child to live that we were open to anything. And we went to a prayer healing room. And in this space, the two people there were basically claiming that the baby was alive, that the baby would live. 
And so when that didn't happen, that really hurt us. <laughs> and in the moment, something felt off about it, but we didn't know, is it because this is off or is it because our faith isn't enough? But that really got me thinking around what does praying for healing look like? What does it mean when I am trying to pray as authentically I can, and it doesn't totally fix the situation? And as I've gone through more situations of life, I've learned what you've described as well, that wait a minute, God might be doing abundantly more than I could ask or imagine, because what I'm asking for is for things to be fixed. What I'm imagining is the best case scenario. And maybe God knows something I don't. Maybe there's something more that God is trying to do. There are plenty of times where I'm in spaces where somebody is in a hard situation and they are desiring healing in the normal senses that we would understand it. And in my heart, I don't feel at peace about praying for that. But what I began to learn is that there are still opportunities for healing that I do feel like God is inviting me to. So when somebody you know, broke their leg and they want their leg to be completely healed, in the moment, I might not feel like I'm supposed to pray that their leg suddenly rematerializes the bone, <laughs> but there may be an emotional, a spiritual, an internal healing that God wants to do. And so oftentimes I find myself praying for that. Now, there are still times where I might feel a peace about praying for physical healing, but I think what I'm realizing is healing is far more robust than we understand now and that we may ever understand on this side of eternity. I have a possibly hard question for you. <laughs> I'm thinking of how to ask it. I was on a podcast with someone who identifies as an atheist, and he really wrestles particularly with how we can say that God is good when God allows children to be hurt. That is one of his core grievances against this idea of God. And you're functioning in a space where you are constantly having to engage with children who are hurting. You're constantly engaging the incredibly horrendous situation of trafficking. And meanwhile, as a believer, as someone who from a young age has come to know that God still works and God still speaks, you're also having to hold to the reality that God is God and God is good. So how do you personally walk in that tension of knowing who God is while also knowing the really, really painful things that you see around you? Yeah, that is a difficult thing to talk about. Like it, it is, especially with someone who is an unbeliever and trying to bridge the gap of that. But I think, again, everything has to go back to scripture. It has to go back to what do we believe as Christians. And it starts with believing in a good God isn't that God's causing all of these things. Believing in a good God was a God who created everything good and then said, I'm going to give them free will hmm. and the ability to serve me or to do what they're going to do. And then the fall. So I think that it's important that we think about the whole picture and understand that God did not look at specific children or specific situations and say, yeah, they can handle it. Their lives can be all messed up. That's not God. That's not his character. Mm -hmm. But God did say that he's going to restore everything. He's giving us free will. He has made a way for us through Christ and he's going to restore everything. The promise that he is a good and just God, it still stands. And we're going to see that in eternity. And there's this really quick moment here that we are experiencing all of this heartache and pain. And it is, it's really broken. And I understand the question, 
but I think that it comes from the wrong place Mm -hmm. because it's not God causing this pain. It's being allowed right now. Mm -hmm. Yes. God could intervene and stop all of this. He's allowing it to continue because he wants the people that are yet to be brought into redemption under him to have a chance and an opportunity to do that, which is why we're still here. And eventually it's going to stop and everything's going to be put right and justice will happen. We just aren't able to see that right now. We're not able to see it played out. And it's a really good question. I mean, I'd love to hear the answer to that from people who are even more in the middle of it and serving in this field, because I feel like this is a conversation that could go on forever. Yeah, I think a lot of it does also come back to a personal relationship with God. The more that you see him, the more that you get to experience him, the more you're in his word, you get this foundation that's always being built upon that God is good. And things will happen that make you question a lot. But if the foundation is that God is good and you've experienced that, that part doesn't really go away. Yeah, you're right. That is a conversation that can continue to happen. And I also think it's a conversation that doesn't have an end on this side of eternity because it makes me think of verses like the wisdom of God is foolishness to man, right? Like, Mm, yeah, that the more God explains this to us, the less it's going to make sense if we try to explain it to others who don't have a relationship with God or are deepening their relationship with God. And at the same time, the deeper we get into relationship with someone, the less we need them to explain themselves to justify that relationship, right? You know, the deeper that we love someone, the less we need them to justify who they are and what they do. And I think the deeper we get in relationship with God, that's the same thing we find. On the front end, we're like, God, I want to love you, but why are you allowing all these hard things to happen? And as we deepen relationship and begin to actually understand what it means that he is God and good, our need for those questions to be answered kind of diminishes. But also it goes back to what you said, which I think is excellent, is we begin to realize we're asking the wrong questions. <laughs> and so we just stop asking the wrong questions. And it's a hard thing. Like we can say all this, we can desire to believe all this, walking it out in our human bodies with our human minds continues to be challenging. Yeah. And it is faith. Like you said, it's like, there's not like a really clean answer to that as much as we wish it to be, because then it, if we had the answer, to that question really clearly, I feel like more people would just, you know, accept it, but we are told by God to have faith. And so we do. And again, because we trust him Mm -hmm. and we have that, like you said, that relationship with him that allows us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, we like to put all the burden on God, all the responsibility on God, but scripture paints this really clear picture of what God's design for all of this is. And Jesus summed it up really well. When somebody asks what the greatest commandment was, he's like, I'll do you one better. I'll give you two to love God and love others, right? So Jesus emphasized these two pieces, love God and love others. We can actually flesh that out to say that our purpose is for God and for community. And in the context of this conversation and in the context of healing, what that means is that when we are seeing this brokenness around us, Part of the way that healing happens can be through God, but by design, part of the way that healing happens can be through community. And when we separate that out, when we just kind of blame everything on God, we can see something like children needing to be in the foster care system. When we think of the atrocities of human trafficking, we can get really, really mad at God for not fixing it. 
but when we understand this context of God and community, I really believe that part of the way that God is bringing healing is through putting this very clear invitation in your heart, however many years ago, it's like, do you want to do this? Yes or no. And everybody else that's on your staff that have felt led to that place and all these other organizations that you connected with that deal with foster care system and trafficking and all these other people that are serving, like God is actually inspiring people and bodies of people to live into this wholeness of community that can bring healing. Because if we go back to where this conversation started, that's one of the big things that you mentioned, that there is a vulnerability that occurs when we don't have healthy community around us. And all of this brokenness that we see around us in terms of what can happen with children, what can happen with trafficking, what can happen with homelessness, what can happen with addiction. So often there is this root of lacking healthy community. Yeah. As we start to draw to a close, there's a few last questions I have. But one that I want to make sure I leave space for you to answer is the work that you and others are doing is important. And it's also the type of work that most people will say, well, they know about that. So I'm going to let them handle it and they don't engage with it. How would you invite the everyday person to become a part of healthy community for the spheres in which you're engaging? Yeah. So I... I'm very thankful that that's part of what I get to do all the time. <laughs> Something that I've been doing a lot. I'm trying to get onto some of these like podcasts and these little things to just invite people into this work. You put the emphasis on it when you mention what Jesus said, because the thing is, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. We've been given very explicit instructions on what we're supposed to do. And it's actually all the way throughout scripture, God defined what the vulnerabilities were. And it constantly comes up as widows, orphans, and displaced. And we see it in our society and all these other small broken pieces, homelessness, addiction, incarceration, all these little pieces, but they all kind of stem from a lack of community. And so when I get to share with people and I get to invite them into the work, I'm not necessarily always inviting them to work with me with Empty Frames Initiative, but I strive to always invite people mm-hmm to consider the question, what are you supposed to be doing? And to pray about it because it's important. It's not something we can ignore and continue to be the church. We can't walk away from it. We can't pretend we can't see it. There is something that we're all called to do. Mm-hmm. And back to what I was saying earlier, is like, you're still here. If you found God and you're still here, you still have a purpose. Yeah. There is still something that he's calling you to do and we need to explore it. And we need to explore it within the context of scripture. There are millions of ways to plug in. There are millions of organizations. There are millions of people who can use your help. But where you plug in is very specifically between you and God. So, yeah, that's where I would start with inviting the, like you said, average person. (laughs) We're we're all average people. But I mean, Mm -hmm. like the person that I meet who's like, oh, that's really cool. I could never. It's like, you could. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, it might not be the same job. I don't think we're all called to do the same thing because, again, that's not biblical. Mm -hmm. We're part of a body. We all have unique roles and purposes. I just believe we're all called to do something. And since God's already given us this template, it's like your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? widows, orphans, displaced, people around me, my family, there is no end to the needs that are there. And if we all as a church committed to praying about what our specific piece was in that puzzle, we would see dramatic changes. Yeah. There are two things that came to my mind just to kind of bounce off of what you were saying. 
mentalities that people have that I think it's good to push against. And so one is one that you mentioned where someone says, oh man, I could never do that. Or I'm not educated enough, or I'm not experienced enough, or I don't have enough time. All these questions of enough, enough with the enough, <laughs> just start simple. Like one person, one conversation, one interaction, pick one person to pray for, even if you can't, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we have the capacity, all of us to be a part of this community of work even if it's simply praying for someone from your own home. Yeah. So I think that's what you said is so important. I think the other piece that is a personal frustration of mine, I want to challenge people to step into positive engagement rather than negative engagement. And what I mean is this, this idea of vulnerability coming when there's a brokenness in community. I think there are actually a lot of people that would agree with that statement. What I often see happen that isn't helpful is when people approach that from negative engagement, like they point to all of the broken community elements in that kid's life, in their parents' life, in their family's life. And it's more of like a accusatory pointing the finger of that's the issue. And sometimes there are things to navigate there for sure. But positive engagement is less saying this is all the ways that there's broken community there and more saying the things that I see is broken. How can I step into that space? Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's a little bit silly <laughs> to have that conversation mm. because we've already been told that that's our job. Yeah. It's like we were told a really long time ago that that's our job was to be community for people. So if there's someone that you can point to and say, man, their family is a wreck. It's like, why? <laughs> and it's probably going to come back to the church not doing its job. Yeah. And I mean that it's like not saying that the church they don't get to claim credit mm -hmm. for broken families, but we do have responsibility. Yeah. We do have a role to play. Yeah. People can turn away your help. That's not the issue. It's that sometimes help was never offered. Yeah. We always look like outward and we're like, oh my gosh, look at the homelessness situation. And we sometimes forget to look inward and at the church that we have immediate connection to and realize that there is a lot of people within our congregation, within our community network that need us right now. Yeah. It doesn't have to be someone out there. It's if you're not asking God, what am I supposed to do? You could be running around and doing a million things that weren't ever what he asked for. Yeah. Yeah. And there are people in your congregation who it's like, Hey, if you never ask, if you never talk to them, you're never going to know, Hey, they need counseling. Hey, they need resources. Hey, there's a little bit of a problem with the rent that could immediately lead to a problem. Mm -hmm. If you're not aware of these things because you were not participating in the body of Christ, yeah. we have this shared responsibility to each other, you know? Yeah. And here's what's so beautiful. I mean, as you're talking, it's reminding me of conversations I literally had today that mesh so well with this. And if we had more time, <laughs> I would just keep on diving into it. But <laughs> I was talking about a tent city that used to exist walking distance from my home that got tore down by the city right before the pandemic, right as the pandemic started. Mm. You know, there are so many different thoughts that people have had around those who are unsheltered, a lot of stigmas, a lot of issues that people take up. And then if people are well-meaning, they can feel a lot of barriers against what they can do. Like, I can't open my, my home. I don't have money to buy somebody a home. Like, I, what can I even do to address this huge issue of homelessness? But one of the things I shared that one of the most beautiful things that came out of that tent city was this sense of community. That even though they were still living in tents, 
there is this community that formed. And for the first time in a long time, for many of them, they felt like they had people around them that saw them and knew their name and cared for them and were happy to see them. And that meant an immense deal. It had such a profound impact. When that was taken, that also had a profound impact. But I mentioned that just to say, for the person who really does want to help and really doesn't know how to help, sometimes something as simple as seeing the image of God in another can do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. You make eye contact with that person on the street that everyone else has crossed the street to avoid. You have a conversation with someone who asked you for money. And you're like, I don't have any money on me, but I've got about five minutes if you want to just sit and talk. You know what I mean? Like simple, simple things that we would willingly do with a friend. What if we started doing those with others? And in that small way, could we possibly see that stepping into community can produce fruit beyond what our wallets could ever produce? So I'm grateful for the work you do. <laughs> and I think we could both keep talking about it, but I do want to bring us to a close and I have two final things. So the first one is really straightforward. You know, if anyone wanted to connect with Empty Frames Initiative, if they wanted to connect with you, if they wanted to connect with any content that y'all created, what's the best way to do that? I'd start with our website. It's fillingemptyframes.org. And then you can find us on social media at Empty Frames Initiative. And you can contact me through the website. Any of the contact forms will go to me. So it's awesome. <laughs> I'll find it. You'll find it. And then my final thing is, is there anything else on your heart or mind that you want to share before we go? Yeah, I just want to say we see problems and sometimes we think we have the answer mm. <laughs> or we know why the problem is there and we might try to rush to help. And I would just challenge all of us to, when we see that problem, when we feel the burden to bring it back to God and to ask him, how are we supposed to help? Mm. Because he wants to direct our ways and it will be significant when we listen to him. There are so many things that Miriam shared that I'm really grateful for, but one thing in particular has really sat with me. I want to share a passage that speaks into it. This is Luke 5, starting with verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is a classic passage on healing, and there's so many amazing things about it. First, Jesus was there to heal. Second, a man was healed. Third, we see the beauty of community. But there's something important here that I think we often miss. When Miriam was talking, she shared how sometimes we can assume what somebody needs and in that way actually dishonor them. And we see something interesting here in how Jesus engaged. Because here's what we know. The man was paralyzed, and we can assume that he probably wanted to not be paralyzed. We also know that his friends knew he was paralyzed and wanted him to be healed so deeply that they went up to a roof and lowered him down. Anyone who had seen Jesus heal to that point when they saw the paralyzed man before Jesus assumed Jesus would heal his paralyzed body. So what does Jesus do when presented with the opportunity to heal? He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. What Jesus knew that no one else seemed to know is that the body is not the most important thing. Physical healing is not the most important thing. Jesus knew there was a healing that had to happen in this man's soul, and that's the miraculous work he chose to do. As people, we have a tendency to assume. We look at a person and we assess their situation. We assess their problems, and then based on what we understand, we decide what the solution is, what kind of healing they need. And in doing so, we can actually cause harm. This has actually been common within the church and within ministries. We can go into spaces of brokenness. We can decide what the brokenness is and how to fix it. And then we can start to enact our plans and totally miss the actual healing that God may want to do in that space. In our efforts to show love, we can actually cause harm. This is actually something I think about often in some of the relationships I have. In the community where I live, addiction is very common. And I have a number of friends with severe addictions. And try as they may, it has been very difficult for them to break through that. There have been moments that looked like success was just around the bend. When they would go to rehab, when they would start to physically look different, when they started to mentally process things in a healthier way, my thoughts would go to, okay, their healing has come. But then two months later, they would show up on the porch. Their physical appearance had changed. They were thinner. Their thought process had shifted, and if I wasn't careful, I could get disheartened and think that failure had occurred. And as much as logically it makes sense to say that somebody being freed from addiction would be the best case scenario, who am I to say that that actually is the best case scenario? What if, like Jesus did with the man lowered through the roof, God is pursuing a more important healing in my friends' lives? And what if what God's inviting me to is not to fix them, but to faithfully walk with them no matter how long their journey is. Because God may be doing something in their soul rather than fixing the components of their brain affected by addiction. What I'm saying is this, it is not our job to determine the healing of another. It is our job to be ambassadors of Christ and to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And sometimes we will rightly assess what needs to happen, but we need to have the humility to know that oftentimes we either will misperceive it or only see a part of the picture. 
The only way we can effectively love and participate in the healing of another is if we are totally dependent on God to lead the way and to do the thing. And here's the good news. If he's inviting you into this space, he is going to be your capacity in that space. You just have to keep coming back to him. So I wanna encourage those of you that find yourself in these spaces often, particularly if your vocation is one of serving others, it can be hard, but God is big and God is love. And in those spaces and in those moments and in those relationships, he can show his bigness and his love in ways that can be abundantly more than your best ideas and your best plans. God desires healing and he wants to invite us into that process. So let's seek him first. Let's love him and love others. And as we do, let's ask ourselves, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?